Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 545 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. It is still Thursday, October 19th, 2023. We still have Jason and I. Jason, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. I'm glad you guys are with us for a second podcast. Yeah, we we, we just stopped recording episode 544, so you ha- haven't listened to that. Go back and listen to that. Then maybe listen to something else. Have Have a sandwich. Have some dinner. And then come back and listen to this one, episode 545, because today on this episode, we are previewing the big Duke football game we have on Saturday night against FSU on the road at Doe Campbell Stadium in Tallahassee. We are going to be previewing. We actually have an interview after the break from Tim Allenbaugh, our our sister podcast, uh, Tomahawk Nation. They are going to uh, preview what we have to expect from the Florida State Seminoles. But before we get to him, Jason and I are going to talk about what we expect on Saturday night. Again, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff, ABC. I don't know what channel ABC uh, is on your hood, but I know you got it. And if you don't, grab an antenna and watch this game because this is probably the biggest game of the year for Duke. Duke comes in number 16 in the country. They are facing a 6-0 undefeated FSU Seminole team that is number four in the country. So, Jason, let me start with you. What are we expecting from this game? And and I think the biggest question is, will Riley Leonard suit up on Saturday night? Well, I wish I knew the answer to that. Mike Elko this week certainly made it sound like it is a distinct possibility that Riley Leonard takes the field for the Blue Devils against Florida State. He said that Riley has been practicing with the team. Uh, I, I, my impression from that is not that Riley was like throwing on the sidelines or something like that, but that Riley was sticking his hands on the butt of the center, taking snaps and dropping back in the pocket and and doing all those things that Riley Leonard does really, really well. And it, it would be very exciting and really interesting if Duke were to be able to play Florida State with Riley Leonard, even if he's not quite at 100%. Uh, but if he's close, if he's close enough that they feel like there's not really a enhanced injury risk, that he's not going to aggravate that, that high ankle sprain, if they think that you know, that that's possible, then man, it, it, it changes the complexion of this game. You know, Henry, Henry Beelan did a fine job and we're interested in seeing where his career goes and what he can do as a blue devil. But Riley Leonard's a horse of a different color, so to speak. Uh, and it would be a, a very big deal for the blue devils to have him for, for the biggest game of the year so far. seems like we've said that, like, this is like the fourth time or something, <laughs> but, but truly, uh, a matchup between teams that are undefeated in the ACC, a matchup with a Florida State team that is number four in the nation in the polls, having your star stud quarterback who's a future NFL draft pick uh, out there makes a difference. And so that would be really exciting. Jason, when you're a football school, you got to start knowing that every week is the biggest football week of the you're year. Right. We have to start. We have to get used to that now. This is, this is something we will get used to over the coming years, especially uh, as long as we have Mike Elko, because it seems like every week has been a big week for Duke football. Jason, I think the the main concern I have about Riley Leonard is I do think that he's going to go. I think he's a gamer, and I think whether he's 75 80%, I think he's going to go. I think the only concern that I have is that this game is on the road. Why? Because this is not a drivable distance. They have to fly down to Tallahassee. And as you and I both know, we travel quite a bit. Getting on airplanes, your joints get swollen up a little bit. Your, your ankles get sore. 
that's a common thing that happens on flights and that can aggravate a high ankle sprain. So the question Dude, that's is, that's a great will, point. Mm. Will he, will he make it down to Tallahassee and still have the mobility that he needs to be able to be effective on the field is the question. And, and should there be no setbacks? I think he does play on Saturday night and I I'm expecting him at least to, you know, start out. But again, my main concern is if he goes down to Tallahassee and things swell up on him, that will probably render him out of this game. So we have to, you know, just like Florida State, we kind of have to prepare for the fact that Riley Leonard could be under center when we start or Henry Beale in the fourth could be under center. And I think from that, that's where the main question is. But I think, Jason, the main thing I want to see is our running game versus their front seven. And their front seven has been kind of like ours this year, all over the football, uh, especially on the, with the run game. But we've been averaging 200 yards a game on the ground, and we've established that as a way to be able to open up passing lanes and move the ball down the field the way we've been doing. The times we've struggled has been when our running game has kind of been uh, not as up to snuff. I mean, get, granted, last week, I think our running game was was much better. But I do think that when our running game struggles, it it really affects everyone else on the field. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that battle, the, in the battle in the trenches and seeing how that affects the game. And really, honestly, the battle in the trenches, our offensive line is going to need to come with an A day because whoever's behind center, we need to keep their jersey clean. And we need to make sure that they have the running running lanes to do what they need to do and have the time to throw passes downfield. That's going to be a great battle, and I can't wait to see it. You know, the big matchup, I, I think, I think the most interesting matchup in this game is the Duke defense against the Florida State offense. Mm-hmm. because we, we've talked extensively about how great Duke is on defense, giving up less than 10 points per game, literally top five de- uh, scoring defenses in the country. Florida State, number seven in the nation at scoring offense, averaging better than 42 points per game. 42 points per game. Duke gives up less than 10. They score more than 40. I mean, split the difference. Does Florida State get to about 24 or something like that? 24, 28? somewhere in that ballpark, we need to hold them, I think, in the 20s for Duke to have a real chance in this game because I think, I agree with you, I think even if we have Riley Leonard, he's going to be somewhat limited uh, in terms of his mobility, I would I would think. You know, I don't know that you're going to have the, the Riley Leonard who rips off, uh, you know, who takes potentially negative plays and turns them into 20 and 30-yard runs, which is, you know, just absolute magic that he performs. I don't know that we're going to have that Riley Leonard even if he does play, so... I, I think Duke's got to keep this game, as I say, in keep Florida State in the 20s. Can't let them can't let them get into the 30s because I just don't see any way that the Duke offense is able to keep up because the Florida State, you mentioned the Florida State defensive line is like those guys are playing on Sundays. Those guys are starting for NFL teams like next year. And and that's going to again be, another thing you got to worry about when you're a football school is you go up every week against teams that have several guys. Who are playing? Who are going to be playing on Sundays? Florida State is going to have a, a dozen, maybe more guys on this team that are playing on Sundays. When all is said and done, and Jason, I think the one thing real quick is that if Ryan Leonard does play, the reason why I think the offensive line might be the most important unit in this game is that even if Ryan Leonard plays, you know what Florida State is going to be doing? They're going to be going after that ankle. That's what they're going yeah. to be doing. And that, that, it's something that we would do if we have a guy that's on the other team that's ho- that's hobbled. We're going to go after that that injury and make it where again it hurts a little bit more it's a little bit more sore and maybe eventually he gets out of the game because he just can't put weight on it anymore 
that is where it's going to be super important when, you know, if Ryan Leonard tucks under, you know, tucks the ball under his arm and goes for a run, we need guys to be able to protect him. And he needs to be able to protect himself out there a little bit. This is football, but the offensive line is going to be super important for making sure that Riley Leonard gets the time he needs to do to throw, but also stays on his feet because every single time he goes down, that's just extra opportunity for the ankle to re-aggravate. And it's going to be sore at the end of the game, but soreness only counts when you lose. If we're winning this football game, Riley Leonard's no no longer going to be, you know, no longer going to be sore. He's going to hit that ice tub with pride. So hopefully we can make that happen. And honestly, I think this is a game that is it's hard to call because of the fact that we don't know who is taking the snaps. But I think if I I, I said it on their podcast, I went on Tomahawk Nation to preview from the Duke angle. And I said, the most important guy on this field on Saturday night is going to be Todd Polino. Todd Polino, who, you know, our field goal kicker, there's going to be yeah. opportunities where we can get points. We may not be able to get a touchdown but we can get points via the field goal. And Todd Polino has been pretty decent so far this year, especially deeper, you know, beyond 50. He is two for two so far this year. I say it's a 53-yard field goal that wins this game. Man, from your lips to God's ears, I'd love to see it. <laughs> I- I'll tell you, the last thing before we, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to have an extensive preview. We're going to talk a lot about the specific players for Florida State. But it is worth noting Florida State is 21-0 and all-time against the Duke Blue Devils. We have never defeated Florida State in football. Um, on Saturday, October 14th of 2017, Duke lost to Florida State by a score of 17-10. to That was a really bad Florida State team. They, they only went 5-6 and six that year. They actually ended a streak of 41 consecutive winning seasons that year when they only went 5-6. and six. That is the closest Duke has ever been to Florida State. Seven points is the closest that Duke has ever been to defeating the Florida State Seminoles. The next closest game after that was a 19-point Florida State win in 2007. They beat us 25-6. to So I'm telling you that in the 21 games that Duke has lost to Florida State, 19 of those games, we weren't even within 20 points of them. I mean, wow. We only held them under 40 points three times in 21 games. I'm going to repeat that one. <laughs> Soak your head around this. We've played Florida State 21 times. They've only failed to score 40 plus points three times. Uh, it, Duke's record against Florida State is like the Clemson UNC home game kind of thing. You know, it is legendarily bad. It is time for Duke to reverse that. We are a 13 and a half, 14, 14 and a half point underdog in this game. Vegas thinks that Duke is two touchdowns worse than Florida State. Uh-uh. I'm telling you, you got money, you're putting your money on the Blue Devils right now. Because this is, I'm not, I don't know that we're going to win. I'd love your prediction, you know, of a, of a field goal to win it at the, at the buzzer. I don't know that Duke's going to win, but Duke's going to, Duke's defense is too good. Mike Elko's coaching is too good. This team's pride is too good for them to get blown out of the building by Florida State. That's that's my prediction. It is going to be a close, a really interesting game, a great matchup of an elite defense against elite offense, a very good offense against a very good defense on the other side. And I, I'm I'm dying to see it happen. I'm dying for that 21-0 to become 21-1. The last thing I'll say about this is, you know, 
two weeks ago or three weeks ago when we played Notre Dame, we played them again, 730 kickoff ABC. It was our homecoming. And we, you know, we had a heartbreaking loss on homecoming to a really good Notre Dame football team. This is Florida State's homecoming this weekend. Again, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff on ABC, their homecoming. I would love to return the favor, at least pay the favor forward that Notre Dame gave us. I'd love to end the streak by also disrupting their homecoming by, again, you know, a lot of times Duke was the homecoming. There was one season, Jason, that Duke was the homecoming for everybody <laughs> because they knew that, hey, Duke is coming to town, easy win, bring everybody out, all the pageantry. I hope they take this as disrespect. I hope they say, hey, you want to be you you want to bring us down for homecoming? Well, prepare to go home sad. Everybody and, and all the big wigs are coming back. Hey, I hope they all go home angry, except for that little pocket of Duke Blue who gets back on the plane, comes back to Durham with victory. We will see what happens again Saturday night on ABC. Check your local antenna for listings. But we're going to pause here on the other side of the break. A great interview we had with Tim Allenbaugh from Tomahawk Nation. We get to preview everything in detail on the Florida State side, so stick around for that. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many... Leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist and help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. We're back for the break and stop me if you've heard this before. Duke football, big game this weekend. This might be the biggest game of the week of the year so far, but really it could be the biggest game of the year in general because we are facing number four, Florida State, at their house at Doak Cable Stadium Saturday, ABC, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff. And we couldn't do this preview alone. So with me, I have Tim Allenbaugh. He is with Tomahawk Nation, which is the Florida State podcast from the Fans First Sports Network, our sister, our, our, our fellow sister blog uh, and sister podcast over here. So, Tim, thanks for joining me. Donald, I'm very excited to be on with you guys. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for saying Dope Campbell. Last year, everybody kept calling it Dope Walker. And uh, so <laughs> props on getting that correct. 
Well, fun fact about me, I, I went to Miami for law school, so we've had to say Joe Campbell oh. many, many times. And I know that's 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 a that's another podcast <laughs> for another day. Uh, we're talking Duke football versus Florida State football this time. But I want to start uh, with Florida State. And again, number four in the season. You had a couple struggle weeks in, in September, uh, but have been – uh, I guess really not, uh, you know, making sure you you avoided all the traps before you you came uh, to visit Duke. But when it comes to Florida State so far, what has made them the number four team in the in the country so far this year? What's been successful for them? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the struggles because I, I was right there with you. The Boston College game obviously sticks out to everybody. Um, but if you go back and look, the Boston College game is really the anomaly. Um, because if you go look at the second half of Florida State's games, the defense has shown up and shown up huge. Uh, Virginia Tech only scored on a kick return. Uh, Clemson only scored seven points. Um, and Syracuse didn't score at all. And so, and then of course, LSU, they, they shut them down in the second half until, you know, like some garbage points. So the thing that really stands out a lot of people want to talk about Jordan Travis and he's huge and Keon Coleman. And those guys have been explosive, but the second half adjustments, the Florida state defense led by Adam Fuller has made has really allowed the offense to either take control or even uh, slug be sluggish in a second half and still cruise to an easy victory. So uh, Keon Coleman, Jordan Travis, Trey Benson, all of those guys majorly stand out on offense and they are scoring points, but the defense has put them in a position in the second half to really pull away late in these games. Well, let's stay on that. I mean, a lot of, a lot of times these previews start on the offense, then work to defense, but as they say, yeah. defense wins championships. So Florida state, obviously in the talk for a playoff, they're obviously in the talk for the ACC championship. What has made their defense so successful? What unit has been the one that people have, have kind of overlooked and what has made them, you know, again, a stunt defense when it comes to shutting people down, especially in the second half? Yeah, so this is a defense with 16 sacks on this season, and it really starts with the defensive line. And it's Jared Verse, it's Brandon Fisk, it's Fabian Lovett, it's Josh Farmer, it's Patrick Payton. And every week, it's a different one of those guys stepping up. You know, Jared Verse hasn't, doesn't have the, the crazy sack numbers, but he's such an impact on the defensive front because he just he makes people shift their whole game plan and he's he's speeding up those quarterbacks and really making them struggle and what we've really seen in the second half is Florida State that's when they amp up the blitz that's when they amp up the pressure and that's when you've got Shane Brown coming from the safety spot or or, or you've got a, another corner coming off or something like that and so that pressure that the defensive line can do by themselves without any other blitzes. That's the key in my important, my, in my opinion, because they're so skilled because they're so talented and they're so deep. Also uh, it's a, especially in the, in the interior, when you do decide to blitz one of your linebackers, like Kalen Deloach or, or Tatum Bethune or, or one of your secondary players, it, it's, it just seems like it's, it's unblocked because there's so much focus on that interior line. And so in my opinion, I don't really know if there's been an unsung portion of this. It's really the defensive line. And I, and the other two units I think are not up to par, but the defensive line is really keeping this defense um, in a, in a good spot. 
So you mentioned the linebackers and you you mentioned the three that I was going to talk about. They, they lead the team in tackles individually and as a unit. What has made them kind of open, I guess, to, to make these tackles? Is it that they're not, uh, they don't have the uh, ability to drop back in coverage or if it's, is it the defense is set up where they have the liberty to kind of roam free and just go after the football? Yeah, so, so two things stand out, uh, experience and uh, speed. Kalen Deloach, Tatum Bethune, DJ Lundy, that's your three backers that you're going to see out there. You know, two years ago, DJ Lundy was a liability out there. And even last year at times, you were like, oh, Lundy's in right now. Let's hope he makes the right read. And so this year, he's making those right reads. And he's not a speed guy. He's more of your traditional middle linebacker looking guy. So to see him being able to, to pick that up, that's exciting. Uh, Kalen Deloach has, has been here several years and his experience is really starting to show up. He had that massive sack fumble recovery touchdown against Clemson, which basically won the game. And Tatum Bethune came over as a grad transfer from UCF. And, and I think his experience that he picked up there and then getting into the system coached up by Randy Shannon at the linebacker position, it's just allowed him to – to know where to be. You and I were talking about in, in the other podcast about uh, Duke's Trey Freeman, and he knows where to be. And, uh, Tatum Bethune, more than anything, he, he always seems to be in the right spot. Now, he doesn't always make the tackle, which is sometimes frustrating. But when he does, you know, it, it's a big-time hit. Um, and so, for me, it's that those guys have finally learned the system enough that they know where to be. And, and so, you can get to them. Uh, in coverage at times and get them some confused with some from different motions. And we saw that early at Boston College really took advantage of that at times. But um, when those guys really can can dissect the play and know where to be, they really stand out. And again, I think that's just from finally getting comfortable in this system. So I want to switch gears to the other side of the football to the offense. But before I do, I wanted to talk about the defense as a whole, really in the sense of what's going to make them tick. What's going to, uh, what has Duke got to look for in this defense and kind of avoid? And then, and conversely, what's the what's the one place, whether it be secondary linebackers, defensive line, what's the one place that you think Duke could have an advantage? Yeah, so I'll start with the, the the second question there. I think Duke can take advantage of Florida State's secondary, and, and I, I think they can do it with the short passes. Um, I, I, I like a lot of our players. Renardo Green, fantastic cornerback. I, that's the one cornerback I would avoid of Duke. Uh, transfer, uh, Fintrail Cypress, safety Kevin Knowles. Those guys can be a liability out there. And, and Clemson, eight cypress alive with the inside slant and i don't know why they stopped running it and in fact it's the last play they tried to run in overtime but patrick payton tipped it at the line um so like he's a good covering cornerback but he's slow to come out of the break so if, if duke's wide receivers are doing quick slants in or, or doing it out into the flats I, I think that they can get to florida state there uh and and to the other side, as we've kind of talked about, it's really the defensive line which makes this this defensive t this defense tick. If Duke can hold up Florida State's defensive line, then I think it could be a really long night for the Florida State defense. But especially the run game, Florida State has really clogged up the middle, 
and and really made it hard for running backs. You know, Will Shipley had a decent day against Florida State um, with the Clemson game, but really outside of, of Castellanos at, at Boston College, Florida State's really been able to contain the running game uh, for the most part. And so I, I think that could make the night tough for Duke, especially if it is Riley Leonard and he's not as mobile as, as he can be with his with his ankle. That's where I, I see the game really being won. It's it's Florida State's defensive line against that Duke experienced offensive line. And if they can put pressure uh, and get to Leonard or or or, or Beelan, I, th- I think it could on the on the other side be a long night for Duke. So now we switch to the offense, and I want to start with Jordan Travis. He's quarterback. He's been great so far in the year, over 14, almost 1,500 yards passing, 13 touchdowns, just one interception, and also has put it on, on the ground 40 times. And when you look at him, what's been so good about him thus far in moving the offense down the field? Is it the ability to make the long ball, or is it, the, the again, kind of a triple threat where he can run, he can pass, and he can also you know figure out how to make a great decision with the football. Yeah, his accuracy has definitely improved, and, and and the long ball looks a lot prettier. And now it always helps when you're throwing to tall, wide receivers that can make, you know, highlight catches. Um, you know, I haven't been crazy about his decision-making, um, which maybe we'll talk about that with the next question. Uh, but I, I do think it's, the, it's, it's like you mentioned, it's a little bit of the dual threat. The fact that when he is willingly going to run the ball those those linebackers have to pause those safeties they have to wait a second you know like oh is he going to carry this one out or it's play action and and so uh florida state has hit a lot of explosive plays um and i think it's those moments where they've done play action or, or, or froze the secondary long enough because they're worried about travis um but i think travis could be better is the thing and I think he's falling a little bit in love with those big plays because he's had so many this season uh, that sometimes he he doesn't take what's there. But saying that, Jordan Travis has the arm and the accuracy and the ability to throw a 60-yard touchdown in a moment's notice. And, and that's that's not the same Jordan Travis you had two years ago that was really dependent on his legs. Um he he's definitely matured into a more well-rounded quarterback. And sticking with that, I mean, Florida State's on TV every week. But imagine for a second that we're talking to people who have never seen Florida State play on offense. What's the, describe their offense and what again? What makes you guys get so many points on the board? How is it that you guys are lining up, and what kind of style of play does Florida State football look like? Yeah, I mean, you've got a 6'4", Keon Coleman, and a 6'7", Johnny Wilson to throw the ball to. Uh, And and then you've got a freak athlete like Jaheim Bell, who's kind of that H-back slash tight end. So you're going to see Florida State a lot of times in the shotgun, um, sometimes more than I would like to see them. Um, A a lot of counter runs, which they've struggled with a little bit there. Uh, But Trey Benson, uh, he doesn't look like he's fast, but... If he can get into your second into your second line, uh, I think there was an analytics that put out the other day that he hit something like 21 or 22 miles per hour in the open field. You know, you got Lawrence Toafili, your second, uh, your other tailback, who gets really skinny in the line, but is deadly 
in the flats on the little dump off passes or anything like that. So the thing that's really made Florida State's offense tick is that I think it's got a lot of options. And when you can tell when Coach Mike Norvell is really in his bag calling plays because it's just hit after hit after hit. And it's a variety. It's not just, oh, we're going to hand it right up the middle and go three or four yards. You're going to see them potentially put two backs in the backfield and, and, and uh, let that one back be the lead back or or you know the distraction. And then after you've handed it off three times, all of a sudden Jordan Travis finally keeps the ball and kills you for 20 yards, you know, or something like that. So in the end, you know, expect to see Florida State in the shotgun. Expect expect to see them throw a lot of passes to Wilson and Coleman, and then expect a lot of dump offs to Keon Coleman, possibly Kyle Morlock, the other tight end. Um, and, and then suddenly when you're, when you're got all that covered, you might see somebody like Hiking Williams or true freshman, you know, bust open or, or, or something like that. So in the end, you know, I'm not, I can't, I'm not a great like scheme guy, so I'm not going to tell you, Oh, you're always going to see a 21 lineup or something like that. In the end, uh, you're going to have usually a one back set with Trey Benson with usually Jaheim Bell or Kyle Morlock offset as your tight end. And you're going to have Wilson and Coleman on the ends. And you're going to see uh, Jordan Travis have that freedom to kind of look at the defense, figure out if he wants to throw it out. You might see a stack of three out there where they'll try to do some wide receiver blocking. Uh, but Norvell's given Jordan Travis a lot of freedom out there in the offense for him to be able to read the defense and then make the decision at the line, whether he's going to keep it, give it to Benson or throw it out wide or you know, they'll actually call for him to throw one down the field. So the only question I really have, I mean, about the the wide receivers, they have been electric all year. They're super tall. They're super fast. When you talk about Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, uh, my question is, has Leonard Hamilton talked to them about joining the basketball team? Because uh, their height could be useful on the basketball court. You know, Keon Coleman was uh, a dual sport guy in high school. I think he had scholarship offers in Florida State. Actually, I think was trying to make that basketball reality tempting to him right out of high school. Instead, he went to Michigan State. I don't know why Mike Izzo didn't do something up there. But uh, in the end, I think uh, Coleman has seen that he can be potentially a first round wide receiver. And while the, the, the hard court is attractive for him, I think he sees his potential and, and where his future is. But yeah, I, I haven't heard any talks about getting Johnny Wilson out there, but um, I, I got to interview Wilson last year and that kid's just a monster. I mean, if he plays basketball, like he plays football, he can stay in the football field as far as I'm concerned, but this <laughs> podcast, we love Larry Hamilton. So I was going to see if he had, you know, at least made the call um, really quick on the offense. I know when we look at tape, anybody looks at tape for Florida state the rest of the year, they're going to look at, that Boston college game and on offense, even though it was a 31 29 victory, there were still some struggles on both sides of football, mainly for the offense. What do you see? What will Duke see on that video that gives them at least some optimism? That, hey, maybe we can shut this offense down. Yeah, this isn't the same offensive line as last year. Um, Dylan Gibbons is gone. Um, and that that's your left guard. And he was a, he was a massive road grader running the ball. And he made a huge difference. And, and he's no longer on the team. In his spot is Casey Roddick uh, from Colorado. Solid pass blocking, not great run blocking. And, and that, in my opinion, is where Florida State's offense really stalls out. Uh, Norvell loves to run the ball. Go back to his Memphis tapes. 
he he is a, a running coach. And this offensive line this year just hasn't had the success running the ball. Um, and, and so you'll see that Roddick, with a combination of whoever's out there at left tackle, that's the other problem. Florida State's injuries have been stacking up on the defensive line. I think they've only had the same five guys start in the same position twice this year. Uh, Robert Scott, who was their starting left tackle last year, he's only played in two games, I think, to this point. And we expect him to play on on Saturday, but we don't know how much. Bless Harris, who is the uh, like a fill-in left tackle for him, but usually the starting right tackle or wherever they want to place him, one of the tackles. Uh, he's He's been hurt the last two games, and so he hasn't played, but he's expected to play. Uh, Darius Washington, who's like the sixth man who fills in all the time, uh, he left last game hurt. Again, he's also expected to play. This is the first game where the projected starting five at this point I believe is expected to be healthy. Now, if they start all five, I don't know if they're going to, you know, put them all out there, but they're all going to at least be available. But all of that to say, that's been the struggle. I don't think Florida State has been able to run the ball efficiently enough to control those second halves like they've, like they've wanted to. And, and combine that with the new clock rules and, you know, you, you struggle – and don't convert a third down, you may not get the ball again that quarter. Um, and especially with a team like Duke that's going to drive it down the field. And so if Duke can keep Florida State in uh, – keep Florida State's running game at bay, forcing Jordan Travis to uh, try to make some of those intermediate passes where I don't feel like he struggled, but he just hasn't been willing to make this year um, – he also has been a little bit hesitant to run the ball at times. Um, so I, I think that's where Duke can have success. If they shut down that run game uh, and if they make Florida State struggle there, I, I think they could definitely make this offense slow down and turn it into exactly what Duke wants, which is a close, tight game into the fourth quarter. We'll get you out of here in this question. We are we are here Saturday night. Pageantry of homecoming has has dissipated. <laughs> The game starts and ends. Give me your prediction. How's it going down? Yeah, you know, I wish I knew what was going to happen with Riley Leonard because I think that's the really the key to this game. I, I think if it's Belen, I think Florida State wins uh, comfortably, you know, something like 34 to 20, 34-17, um, something like that. If it's Riley Leonard, I think it's all about his mobility because if he's not mobile, I, I think there was a, a – a stat that came out today, Bud Elliott was talking about it on Twitter, where Duke's offensive line is giving up pressure, but they're not giving up sacks. And that's all about Riley Leonard. And if he doesn't have the ability to escape, you know, that that could really be, be a different uh, situation. So even if he does play, I know they're going to give him the shots and they're going to juice up that ankle. I think he's still going to be a little bit limited. And I think in the end, that may be the difference maker. Uh, so we'll kind of go in the middle and expect him to play. I still expect it to be something like 31-23, 31-27, something like that, with Florida State uh, pulling out the win. That, that's my thought. I think in the end, Florida State should have the pieces to pull off this win. And I think at this point, everybody should not be overlooking Duke and just expecting to win. And Coach Norvell is going to have them ready to play on Saturday night. 
Hey, I like the last part of your prediction. No one should be overlooking us, and I don't think the Florida State is going to, which makes this game so intriguing on Saturday. Tim Allenbaugh from Tomahawk Nation, again, the Florida State podcast on the Fans First Sports Network. Tim, thanks for joining us on the show. Donald, I really appreciate it. You you went out of the way to make time for me, so uh, if you ever need anything, if you ever want to talk about how terrible Florida State is in basketball as of late, just let me know. Hey, one of my one of my really close friends, his son just went there on an official visit. So we might be I might be talking about the Florida State pretty soon. So we'll see. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Tim. Have a good one. All right. We'd love to thank Tim Allenball once again for joining us on the Duke basketball roundup. Again, this episode about Duke football. Jason. What did you take away from that interview? There was a lot to talk about, especially with regards to some of the, the key players on Florida State's team and how we could see them deployed on Saturday night. Yeah, really quick before we get to the players, I thought it was very interesting that he talked about their halftime adjustment, how good Florida State is at putting teams away in the second half, because we have talked on this podcast about how good Duke is at doing that exact same thing, how Duke has an incredible, like 70 to 7, I think, or 70 to 3 advantage. Um, in the third quarter in terms of scoring over the past 10 games or so. Uh, we had a Duke, uh, we had someone write to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com and send us a note about that. And it's a really telling statistic about how well Mike Elko does at making halftime adjustments. It looks like Florida State is a similar kind of team. You know, they've got Jared Verse. You know, as we, you know, we get now to the individuals. He talked about Jared Verse as an edge rusher. Uh, who's a guy that the fact that their defensive line <clears throat> is able to put pressure on teams without doing get a, without reverting to blitzing a lot is is a really big deal. Uh, you know, if you're able to do that as a defense, if you're able to to get guys into the into the offensive backfield without you know committing six seven guys to the rush, man, you're you're <laughs> you're going to be in good shape on defense. Do that, and that is something Florida State is able to do because of because they got guys like Jared Verse, who, by the way, you know, we talk about guys who are going to play on Sundays, guys who are going to be drafted. Jared Verse is going to be a top ten pick in the NFL. I mean, that dude is the real thing. And then the other thing that he spoke about that I think is really an interesting matchup. I've spoken on this podcast about Duke's defensive backfield and how great a job Duke does at knocking away passes, at at covering wide receivers. I think that our defensive backfield doesn't get enough credit for the fact that opposing quarterbacks struggle to get even a 50% completion rate against Duke. It is one of the strongest aspects of our defense. Man, the Florida State wide receivers, they are a problem. Keon Coleman, 6'4". Johnny Wilson, 6'7". Really tall, really physical, really fast. Like, that's not fair. I'm sorry. You're allowed to be tall and physical, or you're allowed to be fast. You're not allowed to be both. <laughs> Unfortunately, these Florida State guys are both. That is just scary. It is a going to be a huge, huge challenge for our defensive backfield. I don't know how you prepare for six four, six seven with you know four five forty speed. I, I don't. Yeah, there ain't anyone on, on Duke who can duplicate that for you to to, to practice against it. Unless you're gonna, I don't know, maybe <laughs> bring TJ Power out there or something like that. I don't know. It is I was going to say, talk, talk to the basketball team. Maybe yeah, take it, Sean, take Stewart, actually, Sean Stewart. Sean Stewart probably is a great comp for some of these Florida State wide receivers. These guys are really great athletes. And to me, I think that's going to be the, the biggest the, the biggest matchup here is can Duke keep um, 
uh, Jordan Travis of Florida State, who has the quarterback who has 13 touchdowns and only one interception. And they keep him from being comfortable throwing to those big wide receivers because that's where if Duke's able to do that, then this turns into the kind of game that Duke can. Two things that I've kind of repeated at nauseum throughout the season, but it really applies to a game like this one where you're playing the number four team in the country team that, you know, again, is in the, you know, in the eye of the playoff ACC championship game, all of that, all those accolades and having several guys who are going to be playing on Sundays is you want to limit the big play. You mentioned some of those skilled players that they have. If they can't get big plays, they're not, they're going to get frustrated. And when they get frustrated, at least my number two thing, force them to make a bad play, a bad decision with the football, because then you capitalize on it. And you take your, you take your punches where you can, and you take your shots when you can. But at the end of the day, it's about playing clean football, disciplined football, not limiting turnovers, limiting penalties, and stopping the big play on defense. And, if, and and Duke has been doing that all year. There's only been a couple of really big plays that they've given up all year. And if they can continue to limit that, that stops momentum. Again, you're on the road. You're all about trying to kill the momentum inside the stadium and make it where every one of those people, all 75 or 80,000 that are going to be there, you want them to be sitting on their hands waiting for Florida State to do something that never comes. And that's how you get confidence in your team to maybe steal a big win. And that's where I, I think that's the real issue with this game is can we stop the big play? Because if we can, again, I think it's coming down to that field goal. And I think Todd Polino is just going to be sitting calmly, knock it down, and we go home as winners and the front runners to win the ACC or at least to appear in the ACC championship game for another week. So that's where I'm leaving it. Jason, anything else before we get out of here on Florida State? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to tell you that my prediction is Florida State wins this game 28 to 24. I, I just think being at home for them is 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 going to provide that sort of extra margin. Um, but I think it's a game that's probably somewhere in that mid to, to high 20s, and it will be a competitive contest. Duke will absolutely be in the game in the fourth quarter. That you know this 14 point line is just to me that's just that's all about disrespect of this Duke team, and uh, I think they'll keep it close. I I, I you know. If I have to put money on it, on on the straight money line, I'm putting money on Florida State. I think, but uh, but I think Duke will keep it very very competitive. And if if we commit zero turnovers, and we maybe goad Florida State into a fumble or two, maybe then. I mean, that's to me that's the formula. You talked about turnover margin. That's the formula for Duke. Uh, we have to play nearly perfect because Florida State is really good. Uh, to me, they're different than everyone else on our schedule. Um, the the quality of the athletes. Uh, their size, their strength, and their and their quickness is something that I don't think even even playing Notre Dame, even playing Clemson, I don't think Duke's played a team quite like Florida State yet. Jason is the the realist of this episode. I am the optimist. 23-21, Todd Polino, 53-yard field goal to win it. That's what I'm sticking with. That's my story. And that is episode 545 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. Again, we will be back after the weekend to recap Countdown to Craziness. We'll recap the Florida State game. We will Head into the season, you're gonna again. You're gonna get a lot of content from us. It's coming quick and fast. So you're gonna be, hopefully, not getting sick of hearing Jason's voice, my voice, Donald Wine, and also Sam Klein, who will join us after this weekend. But until then, again, stay in touch with us, DBR Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Duke Roundup, where you can get our link tree, access to fanatics, access to home field apparel. You can get all of your latest gear for the season 
so you can look fresh when you go down to Wallace Wade or Cameron or wherever Duke is if they're coming to your neck of the woods. So until then, this is Donald, that's Jason, and now it is time for the Duke Band to once again play us out and take us home.